Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Um, my guest on today's podcast, we really get right to the stories of our guests. In my home is my friend Jacob Guy. Welcome to the podcast, Jacob. Hello. Thank you so much, Richard. I'm so excited to be here. Um, I've sure enjoyed visiting with Jacob before we started to record and just I'm excited to have him share his story. He's going to share his story as a gay Latter-day Saint. And just a little background on Jacob. He is 22 years old. He's a return missionary from Mexico. Yeah, Hermosillo, Mexico. And that is northern Mexico, right on the border of the United States. Yep, northern Mexico. Um, Jacob went to a year at BYU. He's now at Weber State. He's kind of deciding exactly what his career would be, which would be a normal thing for somebody his age. He's an FSY counselor. I think you all know that used to be EFY and it's FSY. He's been doing that for the last couple of years and we'll do it this summer also. Um, I became aware of Jacob because of a post he made in our Facebook group. We have a Facebook group called Ministering to LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. It's a Facebook group not organized around orientation, but organized around purpose. And the purpose is ministering to LGBTQ Latter-day Saints in our local area of influence, like a ward or a stake or a mission or a seminary. And there's allies and LGBTQ people there. And Jacob made a terrific post about being locked out of the house. And he's going to talk about that visual imagery um, that I thought was really powerful. And so that's how I became connected with Jacob. And I messaged him and said, would you share your story as well as that? I'm part of your story for our listeners. And our joint hope is um, if you're LGBTQ and um, in a tough spot or wondering how your future is going to work out, Jacob may not know exactly his future, but he's in a great spot just um, emotionally, spiritually, and physically. And I'm coming from a position of strength of about who he is and and his relationship with God and Jesus. And also, if you're a parent or an ally, I think Jacob's story will help you. I've just been impressed with Jacob visiting with him, and he's not going to want me to make him sound perfect, but... He's no, outst- just keep it going, Richard. We're <laughs> just getting started. <laughs> I think he's an outstanding, gifted teacher, person, student of the gospel, and gay Latter-day Saint as he's making his way forward. Um, grew up in Clearfield, Utah, um, last part of his life before his mission, but also spent time in other areas. Is that okay for an introduction, Jacob? That's perfect. Thank you so much, Richard. And I just want to echo that too. I hope that anyone who's listening to this who is maybe struggling or is in a difficult spot, I hope that this will be helpful to you and that you're able to, um, I don't know, hear resources or hear thoughts that can help you and that can sustain you with where you're at. I hope that this will be beneficial. Jacob is here with his well-marked scriptures. Um, <laughs> Should we whip these bad boys out? I can tell he's very familiar with his scriptures and he's got markers and he's got... Um, so he may read from Those are um, well marked up, well used. This is the student of the gospel. I'm just going to read the whole time, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so I love it with seeing a set of scriptures during a podcast. Um, but I'll just turn it over to you, Jacob, to share your story. All righty. Thank you so much, Richard. Um, I don't know. I wondered over and over again where to start. Um, so I guess for me, I feel like everyone has like a you know, like a Dr. Doofenshmirtz origin story, like Phineas and Ferb. Have you ever seen Phineas and Ferb, Richard? No. He has like origin stories sometimes. Um, so I was thinking about my origin story and I don't feel like I have like a specific origin story necessarily. Um, I guess for me, like growing up for as long as I can remember, it's almost like there was like a unconscious part of me and a conscious part of me. And I feel like there was a fence between those two parts. 
And I feel like growing up, um, I just constantly played whack-a-mole, like this idea of like these thoughts and feelings would come up and I would just constantly be attacking them and making them disappear. And so it's almost like in this subconscious area, like there would be these moles that would start approaching this fence and I would just push them back back. I just push them back without realizing that I was doing that. Um, and occasionally there would just like be these breakthrough moments where like these quote unquote moles would slip through the fence and I would start thinking about it and start realizing that maybe there was something going on there. Um, so I guess like the first time that I really remember like one of these like whack-a-mole instances, um, I remember I was in seventh grade and I was watching a movie with my family and I can't even remember what movie it was, but I just remember we finished that movie and I was sitting there and there was a guy in the movie and I was like, this is weird, but I really like looking at this guy. And I just remember that really surprised me. And that night, I remember I was getting ready for bed and I was just thinking about it. And I was like, oh my goodness, am I gay? Am I gay? And I just thought about it. And that, I think that's when it started the whack-a-mole idea, idea right after that. Um, it was like, no, 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 no. There's no way that this is possible. This isn't happening. Um, for me, I feel like the church has always been so important to me and so integral to who I am as a person. And somehow, um, I feel like growing up, somehow the idea was planted in me that being gay is bad and that being gay comes from the adversary. Um, I don't think I planted that idea. I think somewhere along the line, that idea was planted in me. And so like during these whack-a-mole moments, I feel like I had start having these experiences where, you know, like these moles would creep up to the fence and there was just this so much fear and so much darkness, just this idea of this isn't coming from God and this is a bad thing. Um, so yeah, I guess that's like my Dr. Doofenshmirtz origin story. Um, so yeah, kind of with that, like growing up, um, in high school and junior high, um, I was a really good boy and I didn't date until I was 16 years old. And so like, once I started dating girls, like there was just nothing there. It always felt like there was something missing. Um, but I never really knew how to admit it. And I never really knew what was going on, I guess, because I was so busy, um, like suppressing and playing whack-a-mole with how I was feeling and what I was thinking. Um, like, um, I guess I remember like in high school and junior high, there was always rationalization and there was always justification. Like I would, um, notice these guys and there would be just rationalization. Like I would see a guy and I'd be like, no, it's not that I'm attracted to him. It's that he's popular and I'm not popular. And so I'm just jealous because I wish I was more like that. Or it's not that I, um, think he's cute. It's that like, he has this quality and I don't have this equality. And so that's why I'm noticing him. And I feel like there was always like just justification, like that idea of playing whack-a-mole all the time, day in and day out. Um, yeah. So I guess that continued for pretty much all of junior high and high school. And as I was growing up, um, and there were just a couple of breakthrough moments. Um, like I remember my senior year of high school, um, some friends and I went to go see the greatest showman in theaters. Um, when I say friends, I mean, I went with three girls and one of them liked me and I knew that she liked me. We had been friends for a long time. Um, and I thought she was really awesome. We were really, really good friends and I really admired her and really appreciated her. Um, but romantically there was just nothing there. And so I remember we went to the greatest showman we got to the theater and we were sitting there and we were watching the previews. And one of the previews was for love Simon. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. I've heard of it. I haven't seen it. Yeah. 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 So it's kind of, um, it's about like a gay high school kid who comes out in his experience with all of that. And so I remember it's one of those moments where I don't know if you've had, I'm sure you've had moments like this, where if you close your eyes, like it's so impactful that you can close your eyes and it's like, you're there again. I feel like I can do that. Like it was so wow. impactful that I close my eyes and it's like, I'm there again. I just remember the trailer finished and I just sat there and I just had this overwhelming feeling of like, 
that's my story right there. And it just hit me out of nowhere. And I remember we watched the rest of the movie and I couldn't even really focus on the movie the whole time. I was just in my head thinking about this and I couldn't, um, it's almost like I couldn't fight it anymore. Like I had been playing whack-a-mole and there was this mole that had crept through and I tried to hit it and I tried to suppress it, but it wasn't working. And that was really scary. You have great visual imagery, Jacob, to communicate your story and using whack-a-mole. <laughs> <laughs> or I'm just six years old. And I think that's part of your gift is of communication, um, telling your own story and probably also teaching the gospel. So that's really vulnerable to what you've shared so far to talk about the seventh grade and trying to figure that out and then watching, you know, seeing a preview and then that's my story. And then probably not enjoying what's well, really a terrific movie because you're I think you said the mole got out and yeah. sort of can't get it back in now. And this is my story. And you've got to sort of be realizing this is you. And it's just, you can't talk about it much at this point. So that's a good job. Thank Keep you. sharing. <laughs> Thank you so much, Richard. I remember, oh my goodness. I remember, yeah, like that night after we watched the movie, I was driving home and I just felt so much darkness and just so much fear just that this was a real thing and that this is where I was at. Um, after that happened though, um, it's so interesting, like really, truly, I feel like there was so much like subconscious fear that was fighting against what I was feeling and what I was thinking. And so I remember waking up the next day and there was no fear. There was no darkness. I didn't even think about it. It was just gone almost. And I feel like there was just so much built in fear that there was any appearance of anything. And I just immediately suppressed it. And so I guess that was my experience following that. Um, were you going to say something? Oh, good. Oh, cool, cool, cool. Um, yeah, so after that, um, I ended up going to BYU for a year after graduating high school. Um, growing up, my mouth was a train wreck. I had a cliff lip when I was a baby. And so um, all throughout high school and junior high, I had like a, a fantastic underbite and a crossbite and a baby tooth that never came down. And so my mouth was just kind of a train wreck. And so I got braces on while I was in high school and they ended up taking longer than I was planning on. And so I had to um, wait a year before going on a mission. And so I went to BYU and while I was at BYU, um, there were a lot of really good things that happened, but there were also a lot of really not good things that happened. And um, part of that is why I'm not back at BYU right now. Um, and so, yeah, like while I was at BYU, I remember like there was just so much emphasis on dating and marriage, which obviously like that's like the stereotype. BYU is known for that. Um, but while I was there, it was just everywhere and I couldn't get away from it. And it was so weird because there was no appeal for that, if that makes sense. Like the thought of um, like going out with girls, like there was no desire, there was no pull, there was no attraction, there was just nothing there. And at the same time, um, I feel like I was starting to notice more and more that I did have feelings towards guys and that they weren't going away. And so BYU is like this really interesting place of playing tug of war between like what I knew and what I felt and trying to understand what all the different pieces meant. Um, after, yeah, like I remember the, over Christmas break, um, I hung out with that same friend that I saw Greatest Showman with. We went and got ice cream. It was me, her, and her younger sister. And so we went and got ice cream and we were driving back. And again, it's one of those moments where I can close my eyes and it's like I'm there again. I remember being in the back seat, and I don't know why, but just out of nowhere, it just hit me that I think I might be gay. And it was really scary. And again, 
I feel like unless you've experienced it, it's hard to explain, but it was just this instant suppression and this instant, um, like making it disappear, making it go away. And so, yeah, that was pretty much my experience after graduating high school and going to BYU. Um, I was pretty content with just fighting it and, um, suppressing it and pretending like it wasn't there. Um, but then a couple weeks before I left on my mission, I was hanging out with a friend and he was a couple years older than me. So he had been on a mission. He was about to graduate college and we were hanging out. And as we were hanging out, he actually ended up coming out to me and he told me his story. And as we were talking, I tried to ask him questions and listen and support and be a good friend. And I remember everything that he said. I was like, oh my goodness, that's me. And every single story, every single thought that he had, I was like, I relate to that. And I feel like that's, that's me. And it was terrifying. It was terrifying. I remember we drove home. I drove home. We, so we went and saw a movie. And then afterwards he left and I left and I was driving home. And seriously, like my hands were shaking as I was driving home. Like I was just terrified that this was a real possibility. And I think part of what scared me most was that this friend that I had had, you know, gone on a mission and he had been an active member of the church and that hadn't changed anything. And so I guess that was the moment where there was like this mole that crept through that said like, maybe this isn't something that's going away anytime soon. And this might be something that's going to stick around for a while. And that was really scary just because of genuinely how much I loved the church and how much I wanted to please God and make him happy. Um, like when I say that growing up, I was all in the church. I mean that 100%. Like my senior year, not my senior year, my sophomore year of high school, um, I just got on like this scripture reading extravaganza. I don't know. Uh, and so seriously, my sophomore year of high school, uh, I would no joke try to dedicate two to three hours spending time in the scriptures every day. Um, and I'd meet it most days. And I just felt so connected to Heavenly Father and it just meant so much to me. And I feel like that hasn't gone away, I guess. Um, yeah, I guess for me, like there's always been such a pull to the gospel and that's always been fundamental to who I am. And so I guess that was a big part of the fear before going on a mission is that like there was this conflict of, okay, here's how I'm feeling and here's what I'm thinking, but that doesn't match up with what I've always felt and what I've always thought and what the church has taught. And so I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do about that. Um, but I knew I was getting ready to go on a mission. And so I was like, okay, we're going to go for two years and then everything will be great and we'll figure it out then. Um, plot twist, the narrator over my life would have said it was not great. And it did turn out like that. <laughs> um, I ended up leaving on my mission. I went to Hermosillo, Mexico and oh my goodness. Um, Mexico, I loved Mexico. Um, Mexico itself, like the food and the culture and the people and the language. Um, I seriously loved all of that. So, 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 so much. Um, but the missionary culture was really toxic and I actually really hated it. Um, so I was out on my mission for six months and then COVID happened. So I came home and for the six months that I was out, um, I actually got bullied pretty intensely by some other missionaries. Um, obviously I hadn't come out and I was still fighting with myself. Um, but while I was out, there were some missionaries that, um, said that I had a crush on my companion and they all called me other gay. Oh, wow. And um, yeah, it was just this really negative and really toxic environment for pretty much the whole six months that I was out. Um, and so it was kind of funny. I was like, I'll just go on my mission and I'll have everything figured out. And then I went on my mission and that went over like a pregnant pole vaulter. And so I, after COVID happened, I came home and um, once I got home, I didn't want to go back out on a mission. Um, I guess I was in this weird spot where I wanted nothing more than to preach the gospel and to bring people to the savior. 
but I would have rather cut off an arm than go back out on a full-time mission. Um, I guess just being in that spot, it was just so toxic and I don't know, just so detrimental that the thought of putting myself back out in that place was just terrible. I didn't want to do it. Um, and I don't know, I guess for me, like I've always been pretty good at um, taking a step back and I've never really cared much about what other people think of me. Um, and so I feel like on my mission, I was pretty good at taking a step back and being like, okay, like, um, yes, they're saying these things, but these guys mean nothing to me. And so what they're saying means nothing to me. Um, and I took that approach for most things, but when they would like insinuate that I was gay or that I had these feelings, I guess it was just scared because like deep down there was a part of me that knew that they were right. And I didn't want to admit that. Um, so that was my mission. And so once I got back from my mission, um, obviously there was all of this turmoil that happened on my mission. And so I came home and I was like, okay, I seriously need to marry a girl tomorrow. And so I kind of went crazy just dating all these different girls and trying to find myself a honey. And there was this girl that had gotten back from her mission. Um, and I think like the week or two after she got back, I asked her out on a date and we went on a date. We started dating after that. And I, I seriously, oh my goodness, I look back at this and I cringe. I think we had been dating for probably about like a month or so. And I was like, okay, so what if we got married? And she had just gotten back from her mission and she was still adjusting and she had no idea what she wanted to do with her life. And she was like, okay, Jacob, like you're nice and you're awesome, but I need some space while I figure this all out. And so we ended up breaking up. Um, <laughs> so we broke up and I feel like once we broke up, again, there was just like all this fear that came rushing back in of like, what if I can't make this work out? And what if I can't do what God expects me to do? And that was a really terrifying spot to be in. And so I kept going on dates and I kept trying to make it work. Um, so that all happened in 2020 and I kept going on dates. And I remember in May of 2021, um, there was this girl that I started dating and she was super nice, super awesome. She was a friend that I had from high school and we'd gone on a couple dates. And um, there was this one date that we went on and she had brought up like if we started steady dating and I just remember being terrified and I drove home and I was like, I don't want that at all. That's not at all what I want. Um, so I ended up, um, basically telling her that I needed some space and that I was figuring some things out and she was super awesome and super understanding. Um, at that same time, I ended up meeting another girl and we started dating. Um, and she was awesome. Like seriously, all of the like she had all the qualities that I would have wanted in a spouse, like just super funny and loyal and hardworking and smart. And like, she checked all the boxes. She was amazing. And so I figured, you know, I don't really know where I'm at and I'm still trying to figure things out, but like, she's really awesome. And this is a really good thing. So I'm going to stick with it. And so we started dating. And at the same time, I was working as a part-time seminary teacher. I started working as a seminary teacher at the beginning of 2021. Um, and so I just felt a lot of pressure there to you know, move forward and get married to a woman and to live, you know, the life that's prescribed through the gospel. Um, and so, yeah, this girl and I ended up dating for six months. I remember, oh, I remember the first time we kissed, I drove home. And as I was driving home, um, again, I just felt so much darkness and so much unhappiness and just felt like I was letting God down and that there was something missing. And I remember I got home and um, it was late. My parents had already gone to bed, but they always ask me to let them know when I get home because they're awesome parents like that. And so I got home and I woke my mom up and she was like, oh, hey, how was your date with this girl? And uh, I said, it was good. And we actually ended up kissing. And my mom was like, how was that? Tell me everything. 
And I just remember, um, I was like, you know, mom, it wasn't great. It wasn't great. And she was like, oh, you know, maybe it was nerves or you guys are still just getting to know each other. And I was like, yeah, you're probably right. And um, I was like, yeah, I'm sure it'll be better moving forward, but I'm going to go to bed. And so my mom said, I love you. And I said, I love you too. So then I went to bed. So we kept dating for six months. And so after six months, I guess I, we had this conversation, this girl and I, we went to the temple and we were in the celestial room and we brought up getting married and we started talking about what it would be like if we got married. And at this point, I just felt so much pressure and yeah, I don't know, so much stress to just move forward and get married to her because I was teaching seminary. And so I felt like, you know, if I want to do this, um, if I want to do this and keep doing this, and this is something that's going to have to happen. And I absolutely loved seminary. Seriously, I would teach seminary for the rest of my life if I could. I absolutely loved it. So I just felt a lot of pressure there. And obviously there was pressure, um, like from friends and family, like I'd look around and all of my friends were getting married in the temple and all of these things were happening. Um, and so I just felt so much pressure. I remember at that time I had a, another friend, um, I guess I play a lot of volleyball. I love volleyball. I played club growing up and I still play in leagues and tournaments a lot. Um, I absolutely love playing volleyball. And I had this friend that I play volleyball with. And around this time, um, she and I were talking and she had been married to her husband for about 15 years and they had three kids. And out of the blue, he came to her and said, um, honey, I'm gay and I can't do this anymore. And I want to get a divorce. And it totally knocked her world. And so I hadn't told anyone where I was at, but I listened to my friend and I talked to my friend. And I guess I just realized to my core, like if I do get, if I do move forward and I do get married to this girl, like this isn't something that I can bring up later on. Like, I feel like these are my options. I either bring this up now and start figuring this out. Or like, this is something that I'm taking to the grave. Like I will not allow this to ruin a future family. Um, I could just see how much it destroyed her and how much it ruined her. And so I guess I was in the spot where I knew like, I have to make a decision where either I break up with her and I start figuring this out or I move forward and we get married and I shove this under the rug and never bring it up. You're brave to share all this, Jacob. Got some notes I've written down. I'm going to wait till the end of your story. You're doing a great job. Are you sure? And you're just bringing us into your life. Um, our hearts are all just kind of growing for... Um, you and your experience. And I think everybody's just anxious to hear how it continues. <laughs> We're to, on the edge of our seats. <laughs> We're all on the edge of our seats. Oh, that's so funny. Um, yeah. So just in this really, really tough spot. And so um, I spent a lot of time praying and fasting and also a lot of time um, just trying to research and see where the church was at with same-sex attraction. Um, it's actually so cool being on this podcast. I feel so honored to be here because I listened to a lot of episodes during this time. And I feel like um, a lot of things that other people shared really helped me. Um, and I'm so grateful for them. And I hope that I can do that for other people too. I hope that the people are listening are able to glean some things that they need. Um, but yeah, just so much prayer and so much fasting and I wasn't getting anything. And so after a couple of weeks, um, I remember we had hung out and I was getting ready to leave and she brought it up again. And she was like, so Jacob, like we talked about getting married a couple of weeks ago, but like, you haven't said anything about that. Like, there's no proposal. We haven't talked about a date. Like you brought it up and then like totally avoided it since like what's going on. And so I totally beat around the bush and was just like, I'm sorry. Like, um, I'm just trying to figure things out and I know that this is a big decision and I don't want to jump into anything. And so I'll keep you posted, but I just want to make sure I'm doing what's right. And she was really awesome and really understanding. And 
so yeah, that's kind of where I was at. Um, so in December, um, at this point, like I knew that I had kept her in limbo for way too long and I needed to make a decision and I needed to do something, but I hadn't felt like I'd gotten an answer from God. And so I remember it was December 16th and I was in the spot where I was like, Heavenly Father, I really need an answer. I don't know if I can keep doing this. And so one of my friends from high school, um, her name's Rachel. We always call her Ray Ray. She's seriously one of the coolest people I know. And she always speaks in a Southern accent and can make a meme out of anything. She's seriously the best. Um, we had a temple trip planned. So I remember it was a Wednesday and just a couple minutes before we left for the temple, she was going to come pick me up. And I kneeled down in my room and I was just so honest with God. And I said, Heavenly Father, I genuinely don't know what you want me to do, but I need an answer. Please help me to find what I'm looking for. So Rachel picked me up and we went to the temple and I had an experience in the temple. I think it's too sacred and too intimate to talk about in this setting. Um, but I guess suffice it to say in the scriptures, it says that God will tell you in your mind and in your heart, all things that you should do. And I feel like in the temple, I had an experience where God did that. And he told me in my mind and in my heart what I was supposed to do. And so we had done an endowment session. And so I was sitting in, I was sitting in the session and I just had this overwhelming feeling and I knew from my head to my toe that I was supposed to come out and start owning this and I was supposed to break up with this girl. And I just knew it. And so we finished up the session and Rachel and I were driving home and I knew I needed to tell someone. And um, this is so dumb. I don't know why I do this, but in my head I was like, okay, I'll tell Rachel if she asks me how I'm doing because that makes sense. And so we're driving and out of the blue, literally right after I think this, my friend Rachel is just like, so Jacob, how are you doing? And so, oh my goodness. Um, after she asked that, I said, Rachel, I need to tell you something. And she said, okay, go for it. And for about a half hour, we ended up driving and I tried telling her, but I just couldn't get the words out. And I tried again and again and I tried like all of these different routes for how to come to the same conclusion that I'm gay and I didn't know how to say it. And after, yeah, about a half hour, we just drove loops around the neighborhood. I ended up telling her and she was so awesome. And she just said that she loved me and that she cared about me and that it wouldn't change anything and that she would always be my friend and that she just wanted what was best for me. And that just meant so much to me. And there was still so much weight on my shoulders with figuring out what I wanted to do and telling everyone else. But I feel like just that little piece of having someone who knew um, just made the burden that much lighter. Um, after that happened, um, a couple of days later, I called my older sister um, and I went over to her house and I told her and she was really awesome and really supportive. Um, it was really funny. I told her and she was like, well, yeah, of course I've known since you were a kid. And I was like, what are you talking about? And she was like, yeah, when we were kids, you would always hang out with my friends and it was so obnoxious. And I remember more than once I would be with my friends and you would leave. And I would be like, I'm not going to be surprised when he comes out as gay someday. Um, anyways, just kind of funny. But so we talked and it ended up being really good. And so then that Sunday, um, I went over to my sister's house and my parents met me at my sister's house. And so I came out to my parents. Um, and my parents are so loving and so understanding. And so I came out and they really, truly just expressed that they wanted what was best for me and that they cared about me and that they loved me. 
Um, with that being said, they also expressed a lot of concern. Naturally, I think as a parent, you recognize that this is not an easy trail to go down. And I think um, knowing me, they knew how important the gospel was. And so I think they were concerned about what would happen if I were to take a step back from that or how that would affect me. And so there was definitely a lot of concern there um, just because they cared so much and they just wanted me to be happy and they didn't want anything to take away from that happiness. And they knew that like moving forward as a faithful and active member of the church and also as a you know, gay and actively dating man is normally not a happy, not a happy path. That's not a happy way to go. And so there was just a lot of concern there. Um, yeah, I ended up telling the rest of my family and they were all really good and really awesome. And then I knew I needed to tell the girl that I was dating. And that was probably one of the hardest things I think I've done. Um, we, we planned on hanging out. And so we went for, we're going to go look at Christmas lights. And so we went for a drive and we looked at Christmas lights and we were on the way home. And I was like, Hey, is it okay if we talk about something? And she said, yeah. And so we went for a drive. And again, it was like, I was trying to get the words out, but I just had such a hard time saying it. Um, it was just, I don't know. Like I, I knew that she cared and I knew that she loved me, but there was just, again, so much innate fear and concern that I was just terrified. And so again, we drove probably for about a half hour. And then eventually I finally said, um, you know, I think you're so awesome and I really care about you and I want what's best for you. Um, but I experienced same-sex attraction. I'm gay and I really prayed about it and fasted about it and I feel like we need to break up. And um, she took it really well and she was super awesome and super supportive. And I'm so grateful. She's seriously one of the best people that I know. And we're still friends. We still talk sometimes. She ended up getting married in December, just a couple of weeks ago. Um, and I'm so happy for her. She's super awesome. Um, yeah, so that's kind of how that played out. So we ended up breaking up. Um, and then, yeah, after that, the next week, I remember I was getting ready for work. Um, so I'd been teaching seminary at the beginning of 2021 and I pretty much taught throughout the whole year. And then I got let go um, just before the year ended. And so um, I needed a job. And so I got hired on as a temporary delivery driver for UPS. And so I was getting ready for work. Um, this had been a couple of days after I came out to my family. And I remember my mom came in my room and she sat in my bed and she was like, Jacob, how are you feeling about everything? And I was like, mom, I got to be honest, I'm not doing good. And I don't know if I really want to be here anymore. And my mom gave me a hug and I remember um, she gave me a hug and she just said, Jacob, I'm so proud of you and I love you so much. And I need you to know that that love isn't going to change anytime soon. And I ended up going to work and I seriously just cried the whole time that I drove there and I got to work. Unfortunately, it was like this warehouse where I could just pick up my stuff and do my own thing. And I just seriously cried the whole time and I was delivering packages and just crying. Like seriously, I probably cried for like two, three hours nonstop. Um, I remember I felt really awkward because I was like, someone's going to check their ring camera and there's going to be some random kid that's just crying on their front porch. Um, but I just cried. And I think Looking back before coming out, I feel like in suppressing these feelings of same-sex attraction, I was also suppressing so many other feelings as well. Um, not only was I suppressing 
those feelings, I was also suppressing happiness and I feel like I was suppressing enthusiasm and I was suppressing sadness and I was suppressing disappointment. And so for a long time, I had just kind of become numb. Like I remember when I, before I had come out, I had gone almost a year and a half without crying. Like, and it had been a pretty tough year and a half, but there was just so much suppression that I felt like I couldn't allow any of those motions in. And so after coming out, I feel like that wall lowered just a little bit. And so my, when my mom said, you know, I love you and that love isn't going to change. I think for the first time in a long time, I actually really felt it. For a long time I had known and I had understood that, you know, there were people in my life that loved me and cared about me, but through suppressing and through this wrestle, it's almost like I had put up walls all the way around me. And because of that, I couldn't feel it. And so once I had come out and I had started opening up that door, I really started to feel it. And not only did I know that these people loved me and cared about me, but I started to feel it. And I'm so grateful for that. And I feel like since then, that's only become stronger. Um, and I feel like now after coming out, it's been a little over a year, not quite a year and a half, but almost. Um, it's just been interesting to see that once I like stopped playing whack-a-mole with those feelings, like everything in life has become so much more vibrant. I feel like I'm like my happiness is so much more um so much more real, I guess. And I feel like my disappointment is real too. But it makes up but I feel like all the joy and all the enthusiasm and all these other positive things just make up for it. And I feel like I'm um I don't know, like I've there really is just so much more vibrance after lowering those walls and allowing myself to feel that. Um so yeah, that was kind of my experience with coming out and where I was at. Um, I guess I can talk a little bit about where I'm at right now, but before I do, do you have any questions that you want to go over? No questions. Every story's different. You have shared some things nobody's shared before. I'm just struck by how different everybody's story is and how your story is probably reaching some people in a way no one else's story has. Um, Credit to you for having no real owner's manual how to walk this road, but in some ways having an owner's manual, um, personal revelation, the temple, scripture study, and prayer. And you relied on those, and they got you where you are. I think it's, I think it's a, your story is just a beautiful love story. Um, your mom, that conversation with your mom, that was a, that was a parent home run. And it wasn't a complicated conversation that lasted hours, but what it did for you was transforming. I've wrote down in my notes as you knew your mom loved you and kind of said that love won't ever change. It, perhaps it gave you permission to love yourself. And I love that that conversation then released all these emotions you felt. Yeah. And there's something maybe a therapist would understand that happened there that I don't, but it sort of unlocked this ability for you to love yourself and own your feelings and in a really healthy, positive way. And I would assume your the darkness and the suicidal ideation I think you inferred lifted with that conversation from your mom. And your converse, your breakup was out of love. And it was painful. And um, here you are happy for her. You know she's married and your friends, and 
I'm happy that you're happy for her and I'm happy for her, but I'm sad that something out of your control couldn't make that happen. Um, but you wanted to make an intentional decision that was best for both of you. Yeah. And recognize that this is part of you and you were owning it and recognized it could impact a relationship. And I love the way you went to the temple before that and then started to come out to people because of the personal revelation. Um, I also wrote down this line that you said way a while ago. Way a while ago. <laughs> what, what if I can't do what God expects me to do? And here, your whole time, you've just wanted to do what God wants you to do. But what if that's outside of your control because you're gay? You yeah. can't undo this. You didn't do anything to cause it in the first place. But this core desire that's built into you to follow God's plan and to do what's right, if that's, you know, I just recognize you do a good job of bringing us all in, not in a pity way, but just a, a very thoughtful way, um, your story. I also wrote down, and then I'm going to turn it back to you. We do talk a lot in our church about author your own story. And I wrote down author your own story versus cultural expectations. And there's so many cultural expectations around getting married after your mission, your friends, yeah. the person you're dating, families. There's, and I'm worried you about You can say that again, Richard. <laughs> I'm worried about that, listeners, because we do say write your own story, author your own story. But then our culture doesn't sometimes give us permission to do that. We're responding to cultural expectations versus having the courage to write our own story. And you did that. Um, but it took a lot of courage to do that. So credit to you to where you are. And to me, it makes your, this is like this, this chapter of, is this really part of me in the seventh grade to now this is and being out yeah. a couple of years. And I think you've got, and you're not 40, Jacob, when you're doing this. <laughs> And some of our listeners, some I guess are 40 or 50 and they get to this point and, and there's been decades of internalized homophobia and shame and self-loathing and you've gotten through that at 22. And that's one of the things I've seen more and more as our younger Latter-day Saints um, getting through this in a really healthy, authentic way. It's not easy. It's still painful and it's, it's different for everybody. It's not just linear. You sometimes go back and forth, but... I think this makes your rest of your life um, possible. Yeah. Not responding to fear, but faith and being very intentional with who you are and your best path forward. So that's all I wanted to say, which is more than I thought I'd probably say. <laughs> so I'm turning it back to you. No, Richard, I love that. I love what you said about it not being linear either. I feel like there's no one set path for anybody. And sometimes um, the only way to know that you're going down the right path is to first go down the wrong path. If that makes sense. It does. Elder Holland gave a talk about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but yeah, I really like that, Richard. You're amazing. Well, thank you. <laughs> um, then, yeah, 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 I guess. Um, since then, since, the, since that whole experience with coming out, um, I've been actively dating guys. I actually had a boyfriend for a little bit last year. Um, and right now I'm just in this spot where I'm trying to figure out um, what I want to do and where I want to go. I feel like there's just a lot of unknown and there's a lot of gray area. Um, so I guess kind of with that being said, um, like Richard talked about in the beginning, we're both a part of a, a Facebook group. And so back in, this was in January, right at the beginning of the year. Um, 
I, there was this one day where I woke up and I don't even feel like anything specific happened, but I just felt so discouraged and so frustrated with the situation. And yeah, just feeling um, really hopeless, I guess. And I remember I was in my room and I got down on my knees and I just said, Heavenly Father, what do you even want me to do? Like, what am I supposed to learn from this? I don't feel like I can keep doing this. And I sat there for a little while and I didn't get an answer. Um, and so I went over to my laptop and I just started writing how I was feeling. Um, writing has always been really big for me. I've always loved reading and I loved writing. And so I just decided to write out how I was feeling. And after I wrote it out, um, I decided to post it in this Facebook group that Richard and I are both a part of. Um, and yeah, that's kind of what prompted this, um, this whole shindig. Um, so I guess with that being said, um, if it's okay, I'll just take a little bit of time and read what I wrote. Um, so yeah, I hope that in reading this, that if there are listeners out there who are trying to figure out where they are or where they're at, um, I hope this will be beneficial to you. Um, or if you are in the LDS and LGBTQ intersection, I hope that this will um, be relatable and help put words to where you're at. Um, or if you do have someone who is in this spot, I hope that this will help you to understand them a bit better and to be able to emphasize with what they're going through. Um, so with that being said, are we ready? Okay, fasten your seatbelts, kids. Let's do this thing. Okay, so here's what I wrote. I feel like I've been trying to do the splits over the Grand Canyon. Last year, I worked as an FSY counselor and subbed for several seminary classes, and I also had a boyfriend. I feel like both sides are tucking at my sleeves, and I don't want to give up any ground. So instead of moving, I'm being torn down the middle. Every morning, I wake up and sew myself back together. I know something needs to give eventually, but my hands are starting to blister from holding both sides so tightly. I don't want to let go of either. I'm not sure I can let go of either. At this point for me, God's plan of happiness almost feels like a house. I'm standing on the front porch, but the door is locked. I've knocked, and when I don't get a response, I start looking through the windows. Inside, I see my parents, my younger brother who's getting married in May, and most of my family and friends. My bishop is there too, so is my best friend. So are most of the positive examples in my life. Everyone is waiting for me to come inside. Only, the door is locked, and I can't find the key. So, I'm here. Standing outside in the rain, wondering which aspects of my life I can sacrifice and what will ultimately be best for me. Meanwhile, other friends and family pass by in the streets and ask why I haven't tried going to a different house. I'm shaking from the cold. The door's locked. I don't know what to tell them. But I know that nowhere else will feel like home. I'm not really sure what to do. I know I'll be okay. I know I'm a son of God and he's intimately invested in my life. I know I can become better through these experiences. Sometimes, though, I just wish there was someone else here on the porch with me and we could stay together under the umbrella, hand in hand, side by side, until the storm passes and I don't feel like I'm throwing everything away. I'm just so moved by that. I shared that with my wife and um, she's heard a lot of stories, but she said that's the most powerful one I've heard to help me understand what it's like for a gay Latter-day Saint. Some of my guests that call it the double bind, where you want to fully participate in the church. And but to talk about the locked house, you didn't lock it. <laughs> it's just locked to you because of things that are outside of your control. Yeah. And the straddling the Van Grand Canyon, sewing yourself up every morning. Listeners, I've in the in my past, I'd say, well, Jacob, this will all sort itself out in the next life, and I'll kind of go my way and leave you on the porch. But my current self would just sit with you and say this is this is my invitation for all of us is when we hear a story like this is 
Don't dismiss the pain. Don't point to the next life to say this will be okay. We've got to sit with people like Jacob on the porch and acknowledge the reality of their pain. And if we say we love you and we have the ability to improve your situation, we need to do that and do everything we can to help you. We can't just say we love you and it's in our power to improve your situation. We don't. I'm not sure we really love you. So anything we can do to help unlock that door, sit with you in the porch, bring an umbrella. Maybe um, invest in like some porch hammocks or something. <laughs> but it's a powerful visual. And listeners, I think it's worth discussing that in a ward council and a family home evening and a fifth Sunday. And it's a great visual to say, how do we as Latter-day Saints bear mourning comfort and recognize the reality of your life? And it's heartbreaking. There's no simple answers to where you are on that porch. So thank you for sharing that. It's powerful. Yeah, I guess. I feel like for me, um, I know that I can get through anything if I know when the deadline is. Like for me, I love running. And so I go on pretty long runs sometimes. And um, like as I'm going on these runs, obviously sometimes you hit a wall or your legs get tired or um, you get really thirsty or whatever happens. But for me, I feel like I can always say, you know, I only have one more mile or two more miles and then I'll be back and then it'll be over and it'll be good. And I feel like that's what makes this spot so hard is that there's no end in sight. It's not a, you know, I just have to turn 30 years old and then I'll have an answer and it'll be okay. There's no, um, I just have to pray a little bit harder and then I'll have my answer. There's none of that. It's just being in this constant state of gray where there's not really answers and there's not really any direction. Tell our listeners why you're dating boys, men. Say that again. Tell our listeners you've got a boyfriend and you have been dating. I don't think you do now. Why would, if you're trying to fully participate in the church, and why would you date men? I guess for me. I, I don't mean that accusatory. There no, may yeah, just yeah, be listeners. There may be listeners wondering why are you going down that road? It can't lead to whatever we'd say. <laughs> Yeah, I actually had a conversation about this just a couple of days ago. I figured you had. <laughs> <laughs> You're very in tune, Richard. Um, I guess I feel like everyone has a want for companionship. And honestly, that's what I want. I feel like, um, like the difference between, for me, like the difference between dating guys and dating girls is night and day. And so um, that's part of the wrestle is that I know that long-term that would not, like if I were to date guys, that would not get me to a place where I want to be. You know, obviously where the church is so important to me, long-term, that's not where I would want to end up. But I also feel like, I don't know, like there really is a an innate desire for all of us to have companionship. And I feel like that's an integral part of who I am. And so I feel like by picking one side or by turning down another, then I feel like I'm like casting out a piece of Jacob. But with where I'm at right now, I guess I'm just trying to allow all sides of Jacob to coexist and to, yeah, just to be together at the same time. So it's a really good answer. And my younger self might have given you a list of cautions, <laughs> um, but you know those cautions. My older self would say, I trust you, and you have personal agency, and you have a 
relationship with Heavenly Father, and I trust you. Yeah, I'm not your bishop or your parent. <laughs> Maybe it's easier to say that because I'm neither of those, but I think I think that's what we should do for fellow adults, Latter-day Saints, to say, I'll trust you. And I think then people make decisions based on faith and based on out of position of reaction or a position all. I think they're, if they feel that love your mother expressed to you that morning, that sort of unconditional, I'll walk with you, love, I think we are likely to just make better decisions and have people support us and not have our dis- not have our agenda based on I love you if you choose this path, but yeah, I just with love contingencies. you. Yeah, I just love you because you're my because of whatever and I'll just trust you. But it's a complicated space because being single the rest of your life doesn't lead to internal marriage. Yeah. And dating men doesn't lead to an eternal marriage. So I just recognize it's complicated either road. You're faced face with impersonal, impossible um, options, as illustrated by your Grand Canyon. <laughs> I noticed you picked the Grand Canyon and not just a little narrow canyon. <laughs> Keep sharing more of your story. Um, yeah, so I guess that's kind of my story, and that's where I'm at right now. I'm still... Um, yeah, I'm still trying to figure things out and figure out what I want to do long-term. I guess with where I'm at right now, I've just kind of come to a spot where I've decided that ultimately what's most important to me is keeping a relationship with the Savior. And so right now my focus is to run towards the Savior as fast as I can. And if a guy keeps up, I'll introduce myself. And until that happens, I'm just going to focus on becoming the best version of myself that I can be and by just giving everything to the Savior. More you'd like to share? Um, yeah, I guess kind of with that, um, I guess in this experience, like I said, growing up, like the church always meant everything to me. And so I feel like in going through this experience where I'm not really sure where I fit in the church or long-term, what that's going to look like. Um, I feel like I've had to take a step back and there are some things that I've had to reason through. Um, so there've been a couple of things that, um, I'm coming to learn in my 22 years of life upon this little blue globe. and. Um, I guess something that I've really been thinking about a lot lately, um, here's a story for you. Okay. We can get crisscross applesauce for this story. Um, okay. This is going to sound really weird. Um, a couple of years ago, I went to Red Robins and if you've ever been to Red Robins before, you know that they have endless fries, which means they bring out this basket of fries. I think I remember that. You think you remember that? It's pretty significant. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I was sitting here at Red Robins and I started eating these fries. And I finished the basket. And so they brought out another one. And I was like, oh, don't mind if I do. And so I ate the fries and they brought out another basket. And I was like, oh, don't mind if I do. And as you can imagine, this pattern continued several times. Um, By the time they ended up bringing out the bacon cheeseburger that I had ordered, I was already so full from these fries that I only got in a couple of bites. And then I just had to take the burger with me. And that's kind of a really cheesy example. But I've thought about that. And I realized that in the church, sometimes we do that with Jesus. Sometimes we get so caught up in all of these other aspects that are important and that are good, but they're not Jesus. Like looking back, I think I had a testimony of tithing before I had a testimony of the Savior. And I think that's backwards. And so moving forward, I guess that's my focus, um, right? There are so many good things that we can fill up on. Um, but I think there's a reason that this is the church of Jesus Christ. 
This is not the Church of the Book of Mormon enthusiasts or the Church of the regular temple attendees. And I think that's intentional. This is the Church of Jesus Christ. And I think if we only fill up on these other things, then we're going to be missing out on the core and what we really should be shooting for. Um, And so, yeah, just kind of with that idea, like I think it's so easy to get caught up in you know, like I need to read my scriptures more often and I need to be going to the temple more often and I need to pray and I need to pay my tithing and I need to do my ministering for this month. And we have all of these different things that we're trying to accomplish. And I feel like those are fries. Those are really, really good things. Like I wouldn't have eaten those fries if they weren't good and they're awesome. And we're so grateful for those, but that's not why we're here, right? I didn't go to Red Robins just because I wanted a bunch of fries. And I think in the gospel, um, that's not why we're here. We're here to strengthen our relationship with the Savior. And I think that should be the core and that should be the focus. And as we drift away from that, I think our discipleship becomes less meaningful. Kind of with that, um, I've been reading a lot in the New Testament lately. I guess for me last year, um, just being in the spot where I'm trying to figure everything out, um, there was a little bit where I was like, okay, I need a break from the Book of Mormon. I love the Book of Mormon, but just with everything with the church, I need to take a step back. And so, my spirituality is so important to me though. And so I decided to dive headfirst into the New Testament. And I'm so grateful that we're studying it again with Come Follow Me. Um, but so I just dove headfirst into the New Testament and just tried to really focus on Jesus and just trying to see how I can become more like him and what I can do to bring the Savior into the lives of the people around me. Um, and there was a parable that I keep coming back to. It's in Matthew 25. It's the parable of the 10 virgins. Um, basically, we have this parable where there's this wedding that's going to happen. And there are these 10 virgins that are waiting for the wedding. When the wedding is finally announced, the 10 virgins get ready to go. And five of the virgins have lamps with oil and five of the virgins have lamps, but don't have oil. And so the virgins with the lamps and oil make it to the wedding. And those who weren't prepared don't. Um, I thought about this experience a lot. And I feel like growing up in seminary and in church, we talk about this parable and we'd say, um, you know, you have these foolish virgins and they didn't have a testimony. Um, They didn't have this oil. They didn't have this testimony. And so they weren't prepared. And as I was reading this last year, I guess I realized that that wasn't super applicable to me. I feel like I had a testimony, but what I realized was that I had a testimony, but Jesus Christ hadn't always been a part of that testimony. And now when I read this story, it's almost like the lamps represent my discipleship and the oil represents Jesus. Um, For a long time growing up, I had this lamp that was really awesome. It was really, really clean and really perfect. And from the outside, you think it was really incredible but there really wasn't a lot of oil in it. And I guess I'm kind of in the opposite spot now where like this lamp is still really important to me. And obviously if it's cracked and it's falling apart, it's not going to be able to do much. Like you still have to sustain this discipleship. But my focus now is much more on how can I find this oil and make sure that I have this oil with me everywhere that I go. Um, Right. So I still like want to read my scriptures and I still want to go to the temple and I still want to pray. But ultimately my focus in all of that is the savior. And how can I draw him into that? I feel like sometimes we get so caught up in like, quote unquote, fixing the lamp, right? Like we try to polish it and clean it. And um, whether that looks like, I don't know, the hamster wheel that we always get caught up in in the church of just trying to be more obedient and more righteous. And we spend all this time focusing on the lamp when I think we would be so much more happy and so much more content if we focus on the oil instead. And if we focus on Jesus Christ, where the light really comes. Keep sharing. We've got more time. We've got more time. I think there are listeners that would like to continue to hear from you. Oh, we're on the edge of our seats. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess 
that's been the biggest thing for me is just, um, I feel like my spirituality has almost been like whittled down to these two questions of how can I come closer to Jesus Christ and how can I become more like him? And that's the focus. And so obviously with those questions that will change how we approach our discipleship and how we live our lives. You know, if we love the savior, there are certain actions that we'll take, um, right. If we love the savior, we'll be focused on trying to improve and become better. But I think our intent behind it will change. Um, so I guess that's kind of where I'm at, like with church and everything, but there's another story. Um, something else that I realized, um, again, this is kind of a cheesy story. Um, but two years ago, my sister and I were walking to our YSA ward. Um, so we were walking through our neighborhood and we got to this one part where there were a bunch of weeds that had overgrown and they had like the sticker plants, you know, like the little pokey sticker plants. Um, they're really obnoxious. And when you step on them, they really hurt. I call them nature's Lego because we hate stepping on them. Um, right. These little sticker plants, um, had grown up. And so all these stickers were like littered over the sidewalk. And so I wasn't thinking about it and I was just going to walk through. Um, but my sister said, no, 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 Jacob, we're crossing the street. And I don't think she even remembers this, but so we crossed the street and we were walking and just offhand, she was like, I would only walk through that if I was wearing military combat boots. And I just kind of laughed and I looked at her and was like, yeah. And she was like, yeah, with the shoes I'm wearing, if I were to walk through that, they don't really protect me. And so I'd have to feel all of that. And I don't want to feel that. And I feel like after she said that, the spirit smacked the back of my head and was like, Jacob, that's how you respond to trials. And I thought about it and I realized that for a majority of my life, the moment that things started getting hard, it's almost like I try to cross the street. Like if there was any way that I could play dodgeball with these difficult times, I would like anything to get out of these hard times. Or if I did have to get through these hard times, then I'd be like my sister. And it was like, okay, I'll go through this, but I'm going to put on military combat boots. Um, and I guess that's something that I come back to a lot as well. Um, just this idea of how can I go through these hard things without becoming hardened myself? Um, I think it was David A. Bednar who said, Jesus partook of the bitter cup without becoming bitter. And I've really come back to that. Just this idea of like, yeah, in life, not just as a, you know, as a gay Latter-day Saint, but in all aspects of life, like there are going to be stickers and there are going to be thorns in the path. And there's no way to get around that. We can try crossing the street, but there are, eventually we are going to walk into the sticker patch. And something that I've been thinking about is being willing to walk through that without putting military combat boots on, right? Not becoming hardened, not becoming bitter, not becoming frustrated or angry with God, but really trying to move forward. And even when it hurts, and even when it doesn't make sense, being okay with it and trusting that Heavenly Father wouldn't lead me down this path if there wasn't something better up ahead. Wow. That's powerful. That's skills for everybody. Keep sharing. Um, yeah, I guess kind of with that, I've decided that I want to think about Jesus as a coach. Um, this, just this idea of like going through these difficult times and these hard things. Um, picture for a second, Richard, if we were to go to the gym. Okay, after this, do you want to go hit up Vasa? We'll go get a nice workout in. Are you down? <laughs> uh, maybe. <laughs> I haven't been to a gym in a long time, Jacob. <laughs> <laughs> I take it back. I'd be too embarrassed. You could outlift me. All I, could, I could outwalk you. <laughs> I can walk a long ways. I have no chance. <laughs> um, 
but right, let's pretend that we're going to go to the gym. Okay. And so we go to the gym and we find the locker room and we sit down in the locker room and we pull out our phone and we watch an episode of The Office and we love it. It's so funny and it's so good. And we laugh and we leave. Okay. Did we go to the gym? Yeah. Okay. But did the gym go through us? No. Okay. So now compare this. Richard, we're going to go to the gym. Okay. And while we're there, we're going to give 110%. And so while we're at the gym, we're sweating. Our heart's being out of our chest. We're giving everything and it hurts. And we're like to the point where we're army crawling out of the gym when we're done because we give everything. Did we go to the gym? Yeah. And did the gym go through us? Yes. Um, there was a quote from Neil A. Maxwell. He said, um, it's not enough just to simply pass through trials. We need to allow our trials to pass through us. And I think with this gym analogy, I'm coming to realize that it's really easy to sleepwalk through difficult times, right? I can, like this, this idea, this first example of going through the gym, like in these hard times, I can go in the locker room of these trials and put on an episode of Friends and just tune out and pretend like everything's fine. And when it's over, I'll walk out and it's okay. Um, but ultimately, did that really do me any good? No. Ultimately, if I want these hard things and these difficult things to make me better, I have to be willing to hurt and I have to be willing to do things that are uncomfortable. And so for me, that's been something that I find myself thinking about a lot. Um, you know, being in the spot with this LDS and LGBTQ intersection, um, back in November, um, there was this guy that I started talking to and he was really nice and really awesome. And I was really interested in, um, and after we had been talking for a little bit, he was like, you know, Jacob, like, I think you're really cool. Um, but you're just too Jesus-y for me. <laughs> and I remember we had that conversation. It was late at night. And I guess after hearing that, I just felt like, Heavenly Father, I'm already trying so hard to be so good. And you know that this isn't easy for me. And you know that church isn't easy. And you know that things can be hard with family and friends. And this is where it's getting me. And so I remember after that, I put on my coat and I went for a walk. I ended up walking five miles. I didn't realize that I walked that long until I got back home. Maybe you could outwalk me. <laughs> I'm going to give you some stiff competition, Richard. <laughs> I know you could outrun me, so yeah. I didn't know you had the discipline to walk five miles, but go ahead. <laughs> um. Yeah, so I was on this walk and I just remember thinking like, this is me being in the gym right now and I have to decide whether I'm going to sit down and whether I'm going to wait this out and then leave or if I'm going to, you know, if I'm really going to flex my muscles, if I'm really going to allow this to make me stronger. And I remember walking and I just thought, it's you and me, Jesus. It's you and me. I don't know where I'm going to end up. I don't know what's going to happen, but it's you and me. It's you and me, Jesus. And then I realized that Jesus Christ really is like a coach. And sometimes like we're in this gym and as we're lifting weights, he sees it fit for us to lift more. And our tendency is to get frustrated with him and to get mad at him because we don't understand why. Or sometimes it's too heavy or sometimes we think it'll hurt us. But I think, you know, as a coach, his priority is helping us to get stronger. That's his focus. That's his focus. 
And I try to remember that when things really hurt and when things are really painful. I try to remember that Jesus is a coach and that ultimately he wants me to become stronger. And if this is what it's going to take to get me stronger, then it's my responsibility to continue trying to lift these weights and not get mad when he puts more weight on. Love that. Um, one of the things I've hypothesized listeners is that LGBTQ Latter-day Saints, sometimes um, this charge to hear him, they take literally because it, they're just walking such unique road and the church doesn't always have every answer for them that they have to do what our leaders have asked us all to do is to hear him. Yeah. And to be focused on Christ and have a relationship on Christ and look at the church and our leaders as, a, as not the end, but the means to get us to the relationship with Christ that you're talking about. And so I've wondered if sometimes you don't want to be lifted like this, but, you know, people like you at your age are really grounded in Christ because that's been, which is our doctrine, the rock in yeah. your life and the foundational point and and that's why I bet you're a very good EFSY counselor and very good teacher because this is not theoretical for you um, through, which are good things, going to seminary classes, but it's real. And you can speak to this in a way that not only helps listeners that are um, LGBTQ, but all Latter-day Saints. And um, that's a gift you have for our community. Keep sharing. I think I'm looking at your notes. You've got more on your notes. I want you to make sure to get all to your notes, Jacob. <laughs> I don't want to take up too much of your time, Richard. But Well, it's early in the day, listeners, and my brain's still working. <laughs> my brain, if we were recording about after six, I'd probably be dead, but I'm, I'm very engaged. So I want you to keep going because I think listeners want you to keep going. <laughs> <laughs> Richard's just ready to rumble. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess we'll keep going. We'll cannonball into this. Um, I guess I think it's important to recognize that, you know, on one hand, we can respond, we can choose how we'll respond to trials, right? This idea of thinking of life as a gym and it's our responsibility to lift the weight. Um, I think that's how we do want to go about these difficult times. Um, but on the other hand, I think it's also okay to struggle during difficult times. Um, there was something that I read a little bit ago and I don't want to be too dramatic, but seriously, I think this seriously changed the way that um, I see the Savior and the way that I see the trials that I'm going through. Um, specifically, it's in Matthew 26, it's verses 37 through 39. Um, basically, at this point, the Savior is getting ready to go in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so he calls, um, yeah, and so he calls a couple disciples with him and he talks to them. So this is verse 37. And Jesus took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Okay, this is Jesus. If anyone has perfect faith, it's him. If anyone has an eternal perspective, it's him. And here he is, and it says that he's sorrowful and very heavy. Not only that, but in verse 38, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. Modern translation of that is, you guys, I am so depressed right now that I could die. Right? The Savior is having a hard, hard, hard time right now. And then in the next verse, it says, and Jesus went a little further and fell on his face. 
I think in all the pictures when the Savior's in the Garden of Gethsemane, he seems pretty with it. You know, he's normally leaning against a tree or he seems pretty supported. But this idea, if he went a little further and he fell on his face, like this idea of falling down and not being able to even support yourself, right? It's almost like, have you ever had days where you felt like you couldn't get out of bed? Um, right? It's like this idea or being in this spot where you're so depressed and things are so hard that you're not sure if you can keep going. And Jesus experienced that for himself. For me, that's become really meaningful because for a long time I felt like um, when I was going through something difficult, I would think, you know, if I only had more faith, this wouldn't be so hard. Or if I just had an eternal perspective, then it would make it easier. And it almost became something that I beat myself up over, right? Like if I was just a better disciple, then this would be easier. But I don't think that's always the case, right? Jesus is perfect. Jesus is the Savior. And here he was in this difficult time, admitting that he was so depressed that he could die and not being able to support himself. I think that gives me a lot of comfort that when I'm going through a hard time, it's okay if it's a struggle, right? I hope that every day I can get out of bed and I'm like, okay, let's lift some weights and we're going to do this, um, right? It might hurt, it might be uncomfortable, but I'm ready, let's do this. But I think there's space for these days too, right? The days when we don't know if we can get out of bed and the days when we fall down on our face. I think there is space for those days too. Um, I guess for me, something that I just keep coming back to is the fact that my life is better with Jesus Christ in it. Um, A little bit ago, I was reading in the Book of Mormon and I read the phrase to dwindle in unbelief. Have you ever heard that phrase before? Right, it talks about the Lamanites when they turned away from God and so they started doing their own thing and it says they dwindled in unbelief. And for a long time I read over that phrase and I thought dwindle meant to live, right? Like they turned away from God and they lived in unbelief. That was their lifestyle. That's how they chose to be. Um, but I was curious and I decided to look up that word. And a definition offered by our good friend Google is to steadily become less. To steadily become less. Right, So if you have like dwindling resources, that means you have a bunch of resources and over time it becomes less and less and less. Or um, right, if you have a dwindling population, you have a really big population and over time it condenses and becomes less and less and less. And so this idea of steadily becoming less in unbelief, I've realized that this is true. I've realized that when I start turning away from the Savior, I become less. And when I turn to Him, I become more. When I'm when I'm prioritizing Jesus Christ and when I'm really focusing on that relationship, I feel like I'm so much more patient with other people. I'm so much more loving and understanding and I'm so much more um, compassionate and so much more focused on what's most important. Um, and I know that can be true for you as well. No matter where you're at, I think Jesus Christ can take you and he can work with you. Whether maybe you are dwindling in unbelief right now, maybe it's been a little while and maybe there is some distance between you and the Savior. but. I know that Jesus Christ can close that gap. And I know that he would be so excited and so anxious to do so. It doesn't matter how far you've gone, what mistakes you've made. I really believe that Jesus Christ can make us more. And for everyone, that's a little bit different, but he can change you. He's changed me and he's really good at it. And I know he can do that for you too. Um, 
I don't know. I just keep coming back to that, that through Jesus Christ, I can become the absolute best version of myself. Um, there are other sources that I can go to and other places that I can look that will help me out, but Jesus can change me a lot faster than I can change me. And as I focus on that relationship and as I turn to him, that's when life becomes vibrant and that's when things start falling into place. Um, with that being said, there's another story that I really love in John. It's John chapter six. Um, this has been something else that I find myself coming back to a lot. Um, John chapter six is kind of an interesting chapter. Um, we start off the chapter and Jesus feeds the 5,000, um, right? It's really awesome. He's teaching this multitude. And then afterwards he's like, this is a church function after all, we need refreshments. And so he feeds them with the loaves and the fishes, um, right? And it's this really awesome thing. Um, we don't often talk about what happens after that story though. After that story, um, basically Jesus breaks apart for a little bit and then this multitude finds him and they're like, Jesus, you're really cool. And Jesus calls him out and basically says, look, you don't want me for my teachings. You want me for my snacks. Um, <laughs> it's kind of really funny. Uh, I'm looking for the verse right now. Yeah, in verse 26 of John chapter six, Jesus answered them and said, verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled, right? He's like, you don't want me for my teaching. You want me for my snacks. And so they kind of go back and forth and they talk about things. And Jesus eventually basically says, look, I'm not going to give you snacks. But if you want to eat something, you can eat me. Okay, that's really weird. But that's what he says. He says, if you want to eat something, you can eat me. Um, right. And so still John chapter six, verses um, 54 through 56, he says, Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. This is my favorite verse. <laughs> For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. Right now we read that and we think, oh, he's testifying of the sacrament. That's beautiful. But did these people know what the sacrament was? Absolutely not. This is so weird. This is so strange. This would be like if a bishop stood up and stood up in sacrament meeting and said, okay, everybody, moving forward, if you want to renew your temple recommend, you have to take a bite out of my shoulder. Okay, but he's serious. That's weird. That's really weird, you guys. Right. And this is what Jesus says. Um, and so naturally people have a hard time with this. Um, right. Lots in verse 60, therefore, many, therefore of his disciples, when they had heard this said, this is a hard saying who can hear it. And then the next verse, Jesus understands what they're thinking, what they're talking about and says, does that offend you? And then in verse 66, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. So all these people are leaving. All these people are unsure what's going on and what Jesus is up to. And they're getting offended and they have these problems. And then we have Peter and Jesus says, are you going to go too? And Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the son of the living God. I feel like I'm living this story right now. Right? These people said there are hard sayings, and I feel like there are some hard sayings in my life right now. Right? Sometimes when I read the family proclamation and I read um, marriage is ordained between um, 
how does that go? I just totally lost my train of thought. Um, marriage is ordained between a man, man and a woman. woman. Yeah, exactly. Um, right. That's kind of a hard saying for me because I don't know what that means for me moving forward. Um, it reminds you, perhaps you're locked out of the house. You can't make that active in your life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a hard saying. It's difficult. Um, right. But then I think about Peter and I'm sure that this didn't make a lot of sense to him, right? He didn't know what the sacrament was either, right? He was just relying that he had seen Jesus perform miracles before and he had heard Jesus teach. And to some extent, he knew that Jesus Christ was the son of God. But this whole cannibalistic sermon thing, like that's weird. And I'm sure he was really having a hard time with that. But he says, we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the son of the living God. In other words, I know that you're my savior. This whole cannibalistic sermon thing, I don't get that. That's weird. But I know that you're my savior. And so for now, that's what I'll hold on to. I've wondered too, if there are people who left, who were disappointed in Jesus, right? The day before Jesus had given this sermon and it was incredible. I'm sure people heard it and they were like, this has to be the Messiah. This is the son of God. This is the person we're waiting for. And then the next day they have this experience. And I wonder if some of them thought the miracle performing Jesus cannot be the questionable sermon giving Jesus. There's some kind of disconnect there. There's something wrong. But I guess that's what I have faith in. I have faith that the Jesus who sometimes leaves some gray area is also my savior. And what that means moving forward, I don't know. And what that means long-term, I don't know. But I can trust in that. Even though there are hard sayings and even though the rain is coming down on the porch and sometimes it feels lonely and sometimes it doesn't seem like it'll ever end, I know that Jesus Christ is my savior. And for now, that's enough. For now, that's enough. You've got a Pat Holland, Sister Pat Holland quote here. Do you want to share that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's this really awesome quote um, that I found when I was teaching seminary. Um, I think this is a good place to wrap up. Um, it's kind of long and kind of girthy, but there are so many gems in here. Um, I'll just go ahead and read this. So this is from Sister Pat Holland. So this is the wife of Jeffrey R. Holland. She said, our father in heaven needs us as we are, as we are growing to become. He has intentionally made us different from one another so that even with our imperfections, we can fulfill his purposes. My greatest misery comes when I feel I have to fit what others are doing or what I think others expect of me. I am most happy when I am comfortable being me and trying to do what my father in heaven and I expect me to be. For many years, I tried to measure the oft times quiet, reflective, thoughtful Pat Holland against the robust, bubbly, talkative, and energetic Jeff Holland and others with like qualities. I have learned through several fatiguing failures that you can't have joy in being bubbly if you are not a bubbly person. It is a contradiction of terms. I have given up seeing myself as a flawed person. Giving this up has freed me to embrace and rejoice in my own manner and personality and the measure of my creation. Somewhere, somehow, the Lord blipped the message onto my screen that my personality was created to fit precisely the mission and talents he gave me. I have found that I have untold abundant sources of energy to be myself. But the moment I indulge in imitation of my neighbor, I feel fractured and fatigued and find myself forever swimming upstream. When we frustrate God's plan for us, we deprive this world and God's kingdom of our unique contributions and a serious schism settles in our soul. God never gave us any task beyond our ability to accomplish. We just have to be willing to do it our own way. We will always have enough resources for being who we are and what we can become. 
I've never read that before. That's a terrific find. I have a few notes I just have written down as Jacob's been talking, and then I'd love to have Jacob um, share some final thoughts. Um, I There's no place for gay jokes, is a Latter-day Saint. Um, in a mission culture, in a young men's, young women's, elders' quorum, there's no place in the gospel of Jesus Christ, if we're being like Jesus, to make jokes about gay people. And that became um, toxic to you and your mission. And all you want to do is bring people to Christ. And please, if we hear that, we need to call that out. And I think proactively as, as parents and as leaders, we need to say, just we need to go more than just say be kind to each other give examples of what being unkind is um i don't think and jacob and i talked about this earlier that someone's sexual orientation is a mistake i don't think jacob or any of you that aren't straight can look in the mirror and say something went wrong um heavenly father didn't intend me to be this way <laughs> um and that i am a mistake and I think you have to look in the mirror like I think Jacob feels and think straight or gay, just like Sister Holland's talk. This is who you are. Yeah. It doesn't change doctrine or policy, but it puts everybody on the same moral footing and takes away shame. And I think as a form of creating Zion is our differences is actually what creates Zion versus sameness. So who you are is a good thing. I don't think Satan has any role here except to separate you from the love of your heavenly parents because you feel shame for who you are. Yeah. Um, Satan, I don't think, has the ability to make someone go from straight to gay. I, this is a quote from a mom of a trans kid. I don't believe Satan's work is to deceive people into being LGBTQ. Instead, Satan takes these precious children of God and tells them they're worthless. He tells them there's no place for them in God's plan. He tells God tells them God no longer loves them. He resides in our in their shame. Satan also resides in our fears, knowing our fears will hinder our ability to truly love. His goal is to tear families apart and drive people away. He is succeeding not because this group had deceived and are now gay trans. He is succeeding because he's keeping us from coming together as the body of Christ with pure Christ-like love. I think. You're so close to the atonement and to Jesus. Um, my younger self would have said, Jacob, you know, everything's possible with the atonement. So can you just put this on the altar? There's even scriptures that infer that. And if you're just a little bit more faithful. Can't you just, the atonement can make you straight. Yeah. And Ben Shalati in one of his blog posts says, I thought the atonement would make me straight, but it healed my broken heart. So listeners, I look at mm. the atonement as real. If you have hope that the atonement could somehow make you straight, I wouldn't want to take that off the table, but I wouldn't want to self-impose it on somebody. Um, I think who you are is just a character attribute. I've talked about this. I'm right-handed and have blue eyes, and I can't put that on the altar and have the atonement change that. Yeah. Um, but there's a role of the atonement, as you've taught well. I also don't like making someone the hero one day and the villain next day for where they are as a gay Latter-day Saint and sort of change my feeling about you. And you'll be the hero for me. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll just, maybe you know, that's back to, I'll just walk with you and I'm not going to put you on this pedestal as 
an act of flattery saying, and if 30 years I hear in a different place say, well, Satan got a hold of you or you got sifted or whatever we might say to somebody that chooses a different path. I think our job, listeners, is to be gatherers and not sifters and leave judgment to our Heavenly Father. I love this line that a prior guest said is, why? He stopped saying it and said, what now? And so you, I think that's what you've done here a little bit. You could be saying, why? I can't get in that house. And, but largely, you're, you're acknowledging the pain of that, but you're sort of just saying, what now? Yeah. My brother, why can't I be like my brother? You probably would have loved to have married that woman. And you saw her marry somebody else, and there's pain in that because you couldn't become that guy. Yeah, for sure. So much pain in your story that's out of your control. Um, and it's nothing you did to cause pain. It's just the reality. But I love this what now in a very pragmatic way. I love um, your line upon line. And you're, you're careful to say, I just, I think that's one of the best things that if you're a younger I guess an older LGBTQ Latter-day Saint. Anxiety can consume you. Um, straight people can consume you. It's the future and the overwhelming nat- nature of the future and bringing that in today. Stress is a little bit more about today, but I think what you're doing is saying, yeah, I've got six, six decades ahead of me, roughly, and I'm not trying to figure out six decades today. Yeah, I am taking this line upon line. And that scripture story you read out of John, it's just terrific to teach that gospel principle. And that's what I'd invite all of us to do is do the things we can do today. Don't get overwhelmed with the future. Elder Bednar talks about personal revelation often comes as we just take the next step forward. A lot of fog in the future. Rarely does it dramatically clear like a light switch coming on. There's just... We just take the next step forward, and it becomes clear the next step after that. Yeah. So you taught that, and it's just a reminder, especially to you, that may feel like you felt when you opened up that morning um, to your mom. It made the overwhelmingness of six decades and <laughs> wondering, how does this? How do I ever get in the house? How do I ever get out of the rain? How does this ever work for me? And that's real, and I don't want to minimize that, but I love that you're saying I'm I'm going to use gospel-based principles to take this one step at a time, and my relationship with the Savior is key to that. Listeners will link in the show notes to this Facebook group we've mentioned if you want to join it. It's about 3,000 people in there. It's just people that are trying to improve the experience, Fifth Sundays, um, support groups. Just most of this is happening at the local level, um, and it's just people, allies, and LGBTQ people are just stepping in this space support of our leaders and our doctrine, but just want to support people in the rain, in the house that's locked to them, and recognize that's part of our baptism covenants. Um, I've got some notes that I can't read like I've always known. I don't know what that means. (laughs) But um, I'm going to let Jacob go for as long as he wants to, and I'm just going to sign off and say, Please act on the impressions that you felt. We both said a prayer. Um, I love Jacob opening up the New Testament. I love him talking about, and I think it's okay to recognize some body of Scripture works for us better at some times than others. And I recognize Jacob has some tension with some parts of our church. And so instead of just, I think he's doing a good way of finding spaces that aren't, that provide tension for him, like the New Testament. 
and learning more about Jesus to manage the tension. I think that's a very thoughtful, intentional way to to manage the reality of your road um, in a really thoughtful way. I th- my advice for you, Jacob, is just keep being you. If I were your father, your priesthood leader, I would give you no advice right now. I would just say, keep being you. I trust you, and you have foundational gospel principles um, to really map out the future of your life, even though you don't quite know. And I'll just walk with you. And you've done a remarkable job to be at peace with who you are, to see goodness with who you are, to own all of you, because all of you is how God created you. And it's a good thing, all of you. And you will bless and have blessed so many people. And I think your older self will look back at the work you've done to get where you are and just give you hugs for the rest of your life because it made the rest of your life possible for the work you've done to get yourself here. And that's a good thing. And you're young (laughs) and you're able to then own the rest of your life because of where you are now. And that's an invitation for all of listeners, um, regardless of your age, um, to use gospel breaks principles to be in a position of strength. So, Jacob, I'll turn it back to you for any final comments. Um, I don't know. Thank you so much, Richard. I feel like you're always so insightful and you're always so in tune with what people need to hear. Um, thank you for that, I guess. I guess there's a, there's a quote from President Monson. He once said, God does nothing save it be for our benefit. And I think most of the frustrations and disappointments that we have in this life come when we lose sight of that. Um, right? I think when we get frustrated or when we get angry with God, it's not because we lack faith, but maybe we just don't know him very well. I think the better that we get to know him, the, the more peace that we have. And even though there are difficulties and there are trials and things are hard and things don't make sense, I think that even if we just give Jesus Christ a sliver of our life, I think that's enough. And I think he can work with that. And I'm so grateful for everything that he's done for me. I know that I still have a long way to go, but I am so grateful for all of the grace and all of the love that he's extended to me. I know without a doubt that he's intimately invested in my life. I know that he's my savior. And I am so grateful for him. And I hope that every day I can become a little more like him. Um, Even when it's imperfect and even when I make weird gospel comparisons and even when I slip up, um, I know that he's intimately invested in my life. And I am so grateful for that. And if you're in a spot where you're, or maybe you don't feel that, maybe there is some distance between you and the Savior. And maybe you haven't had that relationship in a while. um, I hope you know that he hasn't turned his back on you. And he never will. There seriously is no point of no return with Jesus Christ. All you have to do is open that door and he'll walk in. Thank you. If Jacob's parents are listening or friends or family, thank you for the the parents you are, the friends you are, the son you've raised, the friend you have, the sibling. Credit to you and your love for this good man. And, um... This is Jacob Guy and Richard Osler signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. <laughs>